Hi, this is Tony Agnesi, and welcome to this edition of The Storytellers. We're in our third season, and this year, we've joined the Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministries to present video versions of the program for the first time in this season. Radio programs are still carried by the Living Bread Radio Network and their stations, and a few other stations uh, around as well. Those programs will begin airing the third Sunday in October, so their, uh, their series will follow uh, the video series that uh, started and this uh, two weeks ago, and this is our third uh, version of that. The radio show not only is on Living Bread Radio Network, but it appears also on the storytellersradio.com and all of the various um, uh, podcasting sites that uh, you can uh, get to, uh, and then later in the week on Breadbox Media, which is the Catholic podcasting site. Each week on the program, we feature a inspirational guest, and we discuss not only their personal faith journey and the ministries they share as authors, speakers, bloggers, and radio and television hosts. This week is no exception. Uh, William Hemsworth is my guest. Uh, William is a Catholic author, five books, speaker. Uh, he is a full-time Catholic evangelist and a good friend. William, welcome to the program. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. And congratulations on season three. Thank you so much. Uh, congratulations to you on starting ministry full time. And the question I have is you did it right in the middle of the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, it was really, if I could categorize it, God. I mean, that's the easy answer, though. Mm -hmm. But this all started back, we've been talking about it for a couple of years. But in April, we really started moving on it. My wife came up. We're in over the pandemic is happening. The kids aren't able to go to school. Um, we're not able to do a whole lot. And she's like, I think it's time for you to do this full time. And it took me aback because like, well, we were both, she just started working full time back in January. I've been in banking for 15 years at this point, had a pretty good career. And yes, this is my passion. I love talking about the faith. I love sharing the faith, writing about the faith, anything about the faith, I'm all for it. And so I was excited, but we really needed to pray about it because it's a big step. We have four young children at home. They're in school and we're helping with her mom and everything else. So we're praying and finally we both came to the same conclusion about mid-July. Mm -hmm. And August 3rd, I gave 30 days notice to my job. My manager was so supportive. He's a strong Christian man as well. He's like, I am so proud of you. I've been thinking about you doing this for a while as well, because I think that's just what you're called to do. And September 3rd was my last day at the bank, and, and here I am. <laughs> well, your calling came at a young age. I'd like to kind of spin back and talk about your faith journey a little bit, William, because it's a little bit, it's not quite as a traditional kind of journey as many people have. You you have been um, a Christian a long time in your life, and, and tell us a little bit about that. I grew up in um, in the Wesleyan Church. I grew up in Southern California. I went to grow up, um, at the age of 12, my mom decided that we needed to start going to church. And so there was a church down the street, Sunset Wesleyan Church. Uh, we started going there every week. And I started getting, the first couple of weeks was a little rough for me because my dad stayed at home watching football. He laughs at that now because he's at church every week now too. But I wanted to be home with my dad watching the LA Rams at the time before they moved to St. Louis and back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I started over the, as the months 
started going by, I started getting more involved. And of course, I made the profession of faith and decided I wanted to be baptized. So I was baptized at the age of 13. And I did everything in my high school years. I mean, I was youth group president. I was involved in campus life, um, sang in the worship band, which is kind of funny because my voice is horrible. But we did it and we had a good time. And I joined the military right out of high school. And I always felt this calling to ministry, but I just wasn't sure how to articulate it. And I scored, I was, I scored enough high enough on the ASVAB test to choose whatever job I wanted. And so I saw a chaplain assistant. So I dug into what that was. And I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. I'm going to be a chaplain assistant in the Army. And for those that don't know, that job entails that you provide religious support of any religion there is out there that the soldiers may have. So whether they're Protestant, Muslim, Catholic, it's up to you to provide the support. And that's where I really first, where I first became exposed to Catholicism. I mean, I had heard all the standard things, you know, Catholics worship statues. They don't read the Bible, all these things that aren't true. But those were my presuppositions. And I remember I got stationed in Georgia and I was working at my first mass. It was my first Sunday working at this chapel. And this chapel had a mezzanine where the sound system was. And it was our job to work the sound system, make sure everything worked, but then we can go back to the office. Well, the Episcopalian service just happened, just happened, and next it was time for the Mass. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stick around because I've never actually seen a complete Mass before. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away. I was blown away at first. I mean, there was the Old Testament reading, the Psalm. The, it was a reading from Romans, and there was a reading from Mark. I was like, wow, that's a lot of scripture. That's more than I've heard in a service that I go to. Because, you know, it was maybe three, four verses, and that was it. And then it was talked about for 45 minutes. And I was like, okay, well, that was a lot of scripture. Let's see what the priest says. 45 minutes later, the priest is done with his homily. (laughs) And it was the most powerful, it was a very powerful homily. Chaplain Livingston, I'll never, never, ever forget him. And so the... That was kind of the seed that was planted. Like maybe you actually research, research this a little more. But I was young. I was 19. And as a lot of 19-year-olds do, you're not really concerned about religion so much, <laughs> especially as I was when I was 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of buried those things. But in, in 2003, I met my, my now wife. And she was cra- she's cradle Catholic, been going to Mass her whole life. And when I asked her to marry me, she's like, I really want to get married in the Catholic church. And without thinking, I was like, okay, let's do it. And so I went through RCIA, but I had this little annulment issue I had to deal with. So we had to, we had to stop, go through again later on. But as I was going, as I was going through the process Intellectually, I understood it, but I really didn't believe some things, like some some of the Marian teachings, mm-hmm. especially about the Assumption and the Eucharist. In my mind, it was still a symbolic deal. And of course, to be in communion with church, you have to believe it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. And so this led to a period of me, I don't want to say dissenting, but into, even though I was going to mass my wife, I, w- I was there physically, but I wasn't really there. Mm. And so it really wasn't a good time. 
and my wife knew it. And bless her, her and her mom kept praying for me. And they kept saying, you'll find the answers on your own. The answers are out there. Just keep digging. Just keep digging. Some of the, uh, uh, William, some of the things that you, that were, you were having trouble with, it seems to me that those are the things that most uh, Protestant converts have trouble with initially, the Marian doctrines and, and the Eucharist and so forth. Uh, right. Is that been your experience since you've been uh, an evangelist? It has been, especially Mary. Uh, I think it was Kimberly Hahn who said there's three things that kept me from becoming Catholic. It was Mary, Mary, and Mary. Mm -hmm. Once I got over the Eucharist and saw what it was, there was still this hang up with Mary. I understood. Uh, I mean, I was on board with perpetual virginity. I was on board with mother of God. It's just logical if Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. She's the mother of God. She gave birth to him. It's logical. It was pretty simple for me to understand. I was hung up on the assumption, like I kept thinking, like, where is this? Where is this in scripture? Where okay, is there something I could grasp at? And um, just by chance, as the Holy Spirit often does, a YouTube video came up from Scott Hahn talking about the assumption. And it was like he was talking to me personally. And at this time, uh, Tim Staples came out with his book, Behold Your Mother which was like another like frying pan in the head type of moment for me. Mm -hmm. All my, all my objections were done. But during this time I had, I had enrolled at in Liberty university. And um, so I'm, I'm just studying for a master's of divinity. And when I first signed up for it, I said, I'm going to study church history because I want to show that the early church fathers weren't Catholic. I mean, long story short, I'm here on your show, Tony. But um, <laughs> the first thing we read was uh, St. Justin Martyr, his mm -hmm. first apology. Mm -hmm. And in that, he's giving us a description of the mass. And I was like, I want, where's this church? But I was so biased. I didn't understand that the church that I was reading about was the one I had been attending with my wife this whole time. Mm -hmm. And one Sunday, it just clicked. The gifts were brought up. Prayers were said over the water and the wine. Only those who believe that it's the body and blood of Christ were able to partake. I was like, aha, I understand. This is it. And then shortly after, we read from the writings of St. Irenaeus. In his writing against heresies, he's writing about the Gnostics. And in that, though, he has what's called the rule of faith. And this was another slap to the side of the head for me like wake up William wake up because in his writing he said he, he's telling the Gnostics he's challenging them he's like you say you're the true church well if you want to be the true church you have to trace your lineage of bishops from now all the way to Christ only the bishop of Rome can do that only the church of Rome can do that it's right there in black and white anyone could read it for free but it was these two things where I was like, wow. And I thought I had some big revelation. Like I, I thought I had discovered something no one else had discovered, Tony. But then as I'm reading conversion stories, I was like, oh, okay. I'm not the only one who discovered this. All right. Well, great. <laughs> it's amazing when you study the early church fathers, uh, uh, how much of what we, what we have existed then maybe in a slightly different form with the mass and so forth all was there you know under under when justin martyr and 
and he wasn't that far removed from uh, from the apostles, you know. Right. One of the things, right around the time I was reading the writings of Justin Martyr, I was reading the writings of St. Polycarp, who would become my patron saint. Mm -hmm. And he quoted as scripture, uh, the book of Tobit. And before then, I hadn't heard of Tobit. I'm like, who's Tobit? What, what's this Tobit you speak of, Polycarp? And so I looked it up. And that's one of the, well, it's one of the books of the Bible that were left out when the Reformation started. And I was like, okay, way back, Polycarp was a disciple of St. John, who was, who was a disciple of Christ. He's quoting this as scripture. And then I started doing this. And then I saw in 382 how these other books were listed as part of the canon mm -hmm. and in subsequent things and subsequent councils. And then they were moved, removed during the Reformation. And so it was what what St. Saint Henry Newman says is true. To be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Mm -hmm. Because what I was seeing and digging, and digging for the church that Christ established, and just digging for the truth, I found my way home. Even the home was in front of me the whole time. And it, it's such a, when I think about it, it's, I, I get the warm and fuzzies, because I know it was the spirit working, because I was kicking and screaming. <laughs> but here I, here I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled, and I'm blessed just to be able to, um, maybe participate in some way in helping people in their Catholic faith. Well, just to share a little story with you, you know, my mom was a devout Catholic and she would be prone to naming uh, her kids after saints. And I was born on February 23rd, which is the feast of St. Polycarp. And um, I, I can't imagine being, <laughs> being Polycarp here in 2020, but, uh, uh, and my wife was born on the same day. So she would have been, Polly as well. So we would have been, uh, both been Polly. So here you are in a Protestant seminary or right. a Protestant college working on a master's in divinity. And you're, and at the same time, you're discovering uh, in your studies, uh, the early church fathers. It's, it's fascinating to me how that came about. Right. And the thing is, I'm not the only one who does this. A few years ago, there were at uh, South, South we, Southeast Evangelical Seminary, I believe they're in North Carolina, there was this influx of converts that were in their apologetics program. And come to find out, they were, some of the assigned readings were the church fathers, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, all these great doctors of the church. And through these writings, they're discovering that the Catholic Church is the church that Jesus established. So like I said, I thought I was doing something novel, but a lot of converts, um, a lot of converts find this out and it's exciting because it truly is exciting to come upon the faith that Jesus established to have that connection over 2000 years, that communion of saints, if you will, just that connection of all those who died for the faith, who gave their lives just to pass it on. And just some that, it's out there that so many discover, I mean, so many conversion stories end with, I read the church fathers and, you know, bam, that was it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was it for me. Like I realized. So how do you get from there to saying, well, I, you know, I, I, I've consumed this knowledge. How do you get from that to saying, now I want to 
share what I know with as many people as possible and, and go into ministry? Well, like I said, I had always, had always had this inkling in my heart to go into ministry ever since I was a teenager. It's one reason I decided to be a chaplain assistant was so I could be involved in ministry somehow, even if I wasn't ordained. But what I did is over the, over the course of all this, while I'm doing all these papers and everything else, is I started a blog just to get my thoughts out on paper. Sometimes I'd rewrite some of the papers I wrote to post them. I started podcasting. Um, I started teaching at church. I started teaching the little children. Now you want a you want a great education in your faith. Teach children; they're not afraid to ask questions. <laughs> they will ask some of the best questions you've ever seen. Like I had a second grader a couple of years ago. Why do we call Jesus God? Why was he born if he's God? Like all the I mean, it sounds so simple, but at the same time, we need to understand those are key questions we have to answer. Mm-hmm. And if a second grader is answering those. Rest assured, adults are asking it as well. And just as I'm writing, as I'm podcasting, that feeling just got stronger and stronger. I started getting more involved in my parish, not only teaching the religious education for the children, but helping with RCIA, um, ushering, getting involved in ministry at the church. And it really just grew from there. Mm-hmm. to the point where people are asking me like have you considered the diaconate like just out of the blue it's like three four at a time mm-hmm. uh, my wife's saying this is something you need to do let's think of a way we, of a way we can get it done so everything everything just kind of fell into place you mentioned one of your hang-ups uh, as a protestant was the eucharist and i know you've written uh, about right. the eucharist and uh, uh, and um, you know i often you know, comment that if people really knew what the, uh, what the Eucharist was, it would be hard to stay away on Sunday or hard to stay away every day if you had the opportunity and the time and, and your life allowed you to do that. Uh, talk a little bit about the writings you've done here recently on the Eucharist. I know you wrote one article, Symbolic or Real, and uh, share a little about that with us. Yeah, so in that article, is the, is the Eucharist the body and blood of Christ or a symbol? I look at a few things. I look at what Jesus said in the Gospels. I look at the accounts in the Last Supper. I look at John 6, of course. I look at 1 Corinthians. Because from those three writings, to get that the Eucharist is symbolic, I don't understand it. it it's almost like some kind of, it has to be a bias just against even believing it. Because in the, in the Last Supper, Jesus says, this is my body. Now, in English, obviously, is means is. Like, this is what it is. But in the Greek, it's the word esti. And it means to become, contain, are. I mean, it's, it's literal in nature. Mm-hmm. This is my body, which is given up for you. Compare that with John 6, where Jesus is giving the bread of life discourse. He's saying... You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no life in you. And the disciples are walking away. Yeah. And he didn't say stop. It was just uh, symbolic. He he didn't say stop. Now, some people may say, yeah, you know, um, Jesus also said he's a door. He's the vine and all this. 
And yeah, he did say those things, but people didn't walk away when he said those things. They knew what he was talking about. And Jesus actually ups the ante. And he says again, amen, amen, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He uses a very interesting word here, though, for the word eat. And he doesn't use it in the first instance, but he uses it in the second instance. And it's trogo. And it's, it means to gnaw, to munch. And in the Greek language, it's always used in a literal fashion. It's never used metaphorically. So Jesus meant what he said. He said, he said what he meant. And going to St. Paul, 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of issues at the church of Corinth. People are excluding the poor from the Eucharist. And what Paul is saying to them is, is this not a participation in the blood of Christ? Let me tell you what Jesus told me. That on the night he was betrayed, he met with his disciples, took bread and said, take, eat this. This is my body, which is given up for you. That was written before the Gospels. So it's nothing that's made up later on. But what's interesting is he says to the Corinthians, if you partake of the Eucharist unworthily, you're reaping condemnation on yourself. Why would, that, why would you be reaping condemnation on yourself over something that is merely a symbol? Logically, that doesn't follow. So when you add these three texts together, just from a biblical sense, you can come to the conclusion quite easily that Jesus meant what he said there. And, that, and that's been the case through history. And in that same paper, Tony, I go through some of the church fathers. I go through St. Ignatius, St. Irenaeus, and many others where they talk about the Eucharist as being the body and blood of Christ. And this was the belief of the church, uh, of those within the church for several centuries. Now, yeah, you had the Gnostics in the early centuries, but they were outside of the church. It wasn't until the ninth century where you had a priest by the name of Retramnus who disputed this whole idea about the Eucharist being literal. So it was several centuries through great thinkers. I mean, how many great saints and thinkers were in those first nine centuries of the church? You know, Augustine, St. John Chrysostom, all these guys who said the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that power of that witness is powerful. You know, it, it occurred to me, and I had a, a particular incident with some younger person or two people involved. A female uh, asked me about the Eucharist, and we talked about it. She was Protestant, and just tried. To, I tried to give her a, as much of, a, of, of an explanation as I could without getting too deep. And when I, I finished, around the corner came this guy who uh, uh, also worked together with us. And he, was, he went to a Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic college. And he said, I didn't realize what you just said. I thought it was just symbolic. Yeah. And here we have a generation, you know, I, I grew up with the Baltimore Catechism. And when Vatican II occurred, uh, you know, we kind of put the Baltimore Catechism aside. And we really didn't get a, a catechism in the church until a mid-19, or an English version until 1994 or three. Right. And so we have this gap of people who, you know, who, who don't have a sense of the real, cre uh, real presence uh, yeah, of Christ in the Eucharist. And right, these and Catholics at Mass, you know. Right, and, it, and it's really a travesty. We've lost that sense of awe because it's something we should be in awe of. The creator of the universe, we're receiving him into our body in the form, I mean, in, in this tiny form. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's inspiring and that's one of the and that's one reason tony i i do what i do it's one reason i love to teach the kids and those those coming into the church and everyone that i work with on my parish is on the same page because we understand yeah it starts with what the eucharist is and with who jesus is if we don't have those two things right we're going to mess up on everything else i agree i agree William, as we're getting into the show, and I wanted to make sure we left time, articles like that that you wrote on the Eucharist and others are available. Talk a little bit about where they can find your podcasts and, the, and where they can find your blog and so forth, uh, if they're interested in following up. And then also, if they would like you to speak for their organization, uh, how they go about doing that as well. Oh, well, thank you, Tony. I write at a couple places. My website is williamhemsworth.com, and there you'll find a link to my YouTube channel, You'll find a link to the podcast. And I also do two, uh, two daily podcasts. One is called Defending Truth, where I just go over a quick apologetic item. Then I do what's called the Daily Bible, where I go through the Bible verse by verse. And I started in the Gospel of Matthew. That we've, I've been doing that for about a month now. Just mm -hmm. a quick little, dev couple devotional things to get people going. WilliamHemsworth.com is the best place. Um, I, have a pa I have a page on Patheos as well, and a Catholic stand. But I love writing about the Eucharist. Any way I can help anyone out there, please let me know. That's great. And, and I have uh, spent some time on your website and, and follow, uh, follow your daily reflections on Instagram. I see them on Instagram and uh, gives me a, a, a quick chance in the morning, uh, you know, to check those out as well. Well, this has been a pleasure uh, having you with us and, uh, and really enjoyed our conversation. Matter of fact, I'd like to sometime in the near future, uh, pick up where we left off and, and continue our conversation. Best of luck to you. God bless you in your, in your ministry. And uh, so excited for you to be full-time in, uh, in Catholic evangelization. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm here to support you any, any way I can. Well, thank you, Tony. I thank you for your support. And anything I can do to help your ministry as well, please let me know. And that's our show for today. My thanks to William Hemsworth uh, for being with us. The program will premiere at 6 p.m. next Wednesday evening, and it's available on YouTube at Fiat Ministry Network, Patchwork Heart Ministries. And it's also available at my website, TonyAgnesi.com, and on my YouTube page, YouTube.com slash TonyAgnesi. And be sure while you're there to subscribe so that you won't miss a single uh, episode of the program. As I said earlier, the radio program is produced by the Living Bread Radio Network and airs on their stations. Check your schedule for times and dates. And the program will also be available on radio at the cap, at thestorytellersradio.com and at Breadbox Media. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Storytellers. This is Tony Agnesi. God bless you.